Yeah, that's great. Reese, great to have your voice up here, just to say it out loud. Thank you. So, as we get cooking today, I'm going to be talking about rhythm, and before we get too deep into that, you can go ahead and bring it up, Trudy, we'll get there. Um, just a little clue in about, you know, what, what's ahead for me over the next uh, 15 weeks. You're not going to have to deal with my teaching for 15 weeks. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, so, thank you, John. Good to have support from our chair of the Board of Stewards. <laughs> That's great. Um, it's going to be... Uh, really a time of rest and renewal. That's what I'm after. Uh, so I, I don't have super huge agenda uh, in front of us. Uh, Lynn and I are uh, kind of doing a favorite places tour in May. So we're going to be traveling a lot uh, throughout May. Uh, we have um, some favorite spots that we've grown to love over the past uh, many years here. And so we're going to hit those. We got a Whopper anniversary on May 23rd. It's our 30th anniversary. Uh, so we're going to, yeah, thank you. That's cool. Yeah, so we're going to break a base a little bit, to use that terminology, and stay someplace really special and uh, just chill uh, for, for that time. June is going to be um, just kind of exhale month. That's, that's the month where uh, probably going to be very local. I might head up to the mountains a couple of times for some uh, reservoir high Sierra uh, solo camp trips, which I like to do. Uh, but it's really meant just to just to breathe really deep, uh, be able to have time for contemplation, meditation, reading. Uh, July, uh, when that comes, I've got some more stuff. I've got a cool conference I'm going to uh, that I've been to before and some family stuff. And then before you know it, uh, it'll be over. <laughs> so uh, I do want to say, uh, in case I forget uh, later, I'm deeply grateful uh, for this church and for uh, the support of the Board of Stewards and going after this. We've been talking about it for years and finally came to fruition. Um, a lot of pastors in other traditions, this is just a normal thing, uh, that every seven years, if you're particularly in like an Episcopal tradition or some Presbyterian circles, it's just a matter of course. It's just built into the contract and that's just what happens. But a lot of Protestant churches, especially Baptists, for some reason, um, I have my hunches on why, um, but it's not as normal. Uh, and one, one of the reasons why it's not so normal, this has changed in recent years, but uh, usually the marker is every seven years. That's when it's supposed to happen. And for a long time, like I'd say from the mid-80s up until just recently, the average tenure of a pastor was four years. So they never got to seven. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like an accidental sabbatical every four years because they were moving on to a, a different ministry. And um, so I'm kind of a, an unusual character in a lot of ways, but in this church's history, I'm the longest tenured pastor in this church uh, by many, many years. And so it's a new thing for this church. This church has never uh, offered this to a pastor, and I recognize that and I appreciate it. And I hope that it will be a good experience for Crosswalk as much as it will be for me, because this is something that well beyond me, I'd love for this to be here for the next pastor many, many, many moons uh, from now when I'm not here. Uh, I think that would be a great course of action. And for the church, uh, we have high hopes, uh, the Board of Stewards and I, uh, for what happens here over a series of lunches. Uh, we've got some table discussion we want to have you engage in uh, to refocus who we are, uh, build on what we know we are and where we're dreaming of next and how God is stirring in us. So I think it could be just a really cool experience all the way around. Then come back together in August and find out, you know, what's God stirring in us and go forward and just see what's going to happen next. It took us this long to get here, only 162 years to get to this point in our church's history. You know, what are, what are the next chapters going to look like? So it could be really, really cool. So that's, that's coming. And uh, like, uh, like we've put in the writing materials, um, I'm around. So if, if something really awful happens, I'm going to want to come enter back in, and I will. Uh, it's got to be pretty catastrophic uh, to do that. Most things, Dar and I were talking just this morning, we think we've done good planning, and we think that we're in pretty good shape uh, having most of our bases covered. So the things that we don't have planned for are the things that you can't plan for. So let's not have any fires or earthquakes. Can we agree to that? Uh, that would be fine. Uh, and hopefully no life crises uh, will happen. 
but if they do, um, not only do we have capable people here, but we have three pastors on call uh, in case something really awful happens uh, just to come meet the need. So they'll be ready at a moment's notice uh, to come in and help. Also, one other new thing that we're starting today uh, but I don't know if we fully, yeah, we have fully implemented it. Uh, we have board of steward members that are now going to be wearing a lanyard. So I know Carrie's got hers on, Robert has uh, his on. I don't know where the other stewards are yet. John has his on. Uh, and we just want to have that in front of you kind of moving forward, even long after the sabbatical, so that you know if you've got a question about church leadership stuff or really church business stuff related, they're the ones to ask. Uh, and if they don't know the answer like that, uh, they know how to get the answer and can get back to you. So if you see somebody with Board of Steward name tag, uh, that's what that's about. Okay, let's move into the text. So talking about this from John chapter 20, uh, the sun, that Sunday evening, this is Easter Sunday evening, uh, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Remember, they were terrified. They thought that they were going to be next, going to get rounded up and summarily executed just like Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. By the way, it's interesting. I didn't say this in the first service, but it's not accidental in a whole lot of ways that he still has the wounds in his hands and his side. Part of it was to say, hey, this is me, so they could recognize it. But there's also a piece of this, which I think is telling, that uh, sometimes the wounds, the scars that we have, uh, they stay with us, but they don't kill us anymore. And I think there's just a, an extra little layer there uh, to think about. It doesn't always show up in every resurrection scene, but in a couple that we're going to look at today, uh, the wounds are still there. And I think there's a, there's a beauty uh, in that, that at least in my life, you know, I have the scar tissue from wounds that I've picked up in my life, but they don't hurt me anymore. And actually, they've become stories of God's work in my life uh, since then. Does that make sense? So something to think about. That's just, that's just a bonus sermon today. Next slide. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I want to hang out on this slide for just a moment. I'm saying down here that our words don't impact God's grace, but rather grace's reception. So what we have here is two things happening. One, we have John's version of what we call the Great Commission in the Christian tradition, which shows up most notably in uh, Matthew's gospel, where he says, go into all the world and make disciples out of all nations, teaching them to obey me and baptize them in my name, et cetera, et cetera. All he does here, John says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So you're going to go do what I did now as my representatives. And then we see John's version of what we would call Pentecost, but in John's gospel. Pentecost in the rest of the Bible shows up, well, first in the Old Testament as a feast day, but then in the New Testament, it was a festival happening, and a lot of Jesus followers were there. This shows up in the second chapter of Acts, and on this Pentecost day, the Holy Spirit comes and, you know, clearly dawns on all the disciples, and that's how they knew that the Holy Spirit was with them. And John's gospel is just as simple. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a couple things I want to point out here. Um, I, I am a panentheist, which means that I believe that God's presence is everywhere at all times, uh, that we are in God and God is in us. We cannot escape the presence of God. What that would mean then is in that room, um, the presence of God was permeating that very room and was in them already because we can't not be in the presence of God. So my question then is, if that's reality, if that's true, and I think it is, was there any more God, was there any more Spirit of God in the disciples' lungs after Jesus breathed on them than before? I would say no. They had the same amount of the Holy Spirit in their lungs after as before. So what's the shift what, what's the takeaway then? 
If Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, remembering that breathe, the same word that we use for breathe is the same word for spirit. What's different? Now they know it. They're hearing it. They've had this ritual. They've had this experience. Their eyes are opened. The Spirit is really with us now. Our master here has told us this is a real thing. I don't think any more spirit entered their lungs, but I think they became very aware of the Spirit of God in their lungs. Does that make sense? The other thing is kind of like that. When they say, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, unfortunately, uh, the church has become quite famous. Church capital C has become quite famous for weaponizing uh, this verse. And some people have been forgiven their sins, and some people are told, you are sinful to the core and will not be forgiven. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. And throughout the ages, uh, the, the sights have been set on different sins, sometimes categorically. Uh, and if you're guilty of one thing, you know, in this category, you're toast, and there's really not much hope for you. That's been the message of the church on many occasions on many issues. Uh, if it's, um, you know, I know a generation ago, uh, it was divorce. And if you were divorced uh, in some church traditions, you're pretty much kicked out of the church. You're really not welcome to take communion anymore in some church traditions. I mean, it was, it was a deal breaker. Uh, now it has to do with LGBTQ inclusion and what that's all about. And the church has once again risen to the occasion and decided that sin is not forgivable. And that's a horrific thing. And it's a horrific mistreatment of the text. Jesus was not telling the disciples here, you're my new sheriffs to go out into the world and let everybody know, you know, who's, who's bad, who's been naughty. That is not the goal of Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. Rather than what we see here is a holy privilege. Jesus is communicating them, to them something of great power. That when you forgive somebody, when you utter these words, God loves you, God forgives you. That is an incredibly empowering, freeing thing. The converse is also true. When you fail to communicate the grace of God to people, there's a good chance they will not know of it. And they'll be walking around under the weight of their shame and guilt. This has to do with reception on people's part. We do not control the faucet of God and God's grace. Forgiveness is everywhere, all the time. Grace is afforded for everyone. In the New Testament, it says that the cross of Christ reconciled the whole world to God's self, meaning everything for all time. This is a reception issue. The issue and the challenge for us is how well are we communicating God's grace to a world that needs to know that they're loved and, and graced by God? So it's a reception thing. Um, it's not an impacting God's grace. I hope that makes sense in what I'm saying there. The next slide uh, thing continues. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the other disciples, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, that's really gross, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Really, really gross. Well, so the next slide, he gets his chance. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. It's very peculiar. It's to get used to that, because the resurrection sightings and experiences of Jesus are a little otherworldly, and they kind of should be. He doesn't really look the same in some situations, doesn't look at all like Jesus in some situations. He somehow gets through locked doors, but here he is standing among them somehow. Peace be with you, he said. And he said to Thomas, okay, buddy, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And on the next slide, he comes around. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So I want to say to you that being from Missouri has its limits. Missouri is known as the show me state. I was born in Missouri, literally. And uh, it means that we're not going to believe anything unless we see its evidentiary uh, truth. What I want to say is I think what Jesus is saying here is there's greater power in belief that does not rely on the five senses or the scientific method. Uh, and this is something we struggle with today because the scientific revolution a few hundred years ago is still very much alive and well with us today. You got to 
almost proof test God. If God's real, then prove it, you know, in a laboratory or something. And that's kind of a ridiculous thing to do. It's like asking somebody to prove the existence of love. Well, you really can't do that. And this is in the same kind of vein of things. Uh, this was great comfort uh, to people who read John's gospel long after the last disciples had died uh, because they were never going to get the chance uh, to see Jesus in the flesh. So for them, they're hearing this. They're like, okay, well, there's some blessing in knowing uh, that this thing is real without actually meeting Jesus and shaking Jesus's hand. And I would say that's, that's absolutely true, that we are too overly fixed on our need to prove and proof text and all this stuff to the point where we miss, I think, much of what God is doing in the world because we were narrowly defining how God must act and move. So anyway, uh, just think about that a little bit, that maybe this thing is bigger than flesh and blood. And then the final bit of the text here. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Remember that that word believe in Greek doesn't mean intellectual assent. Like we've signed off on this list of truths about Jesus, and now we believe. But belief in the Greek language from which this gospel was written means three things. It means you do believe it intellectually, so you can say, yep, I, I believe these things about Jesus to be true, but you also believe them with your action. So your hands and feet are in the game. You're following, you're, you're trying to look like Jesus with your behavior. And not only that, the third piece is that your heart beats the same as God. Your passion is the same as Jesus. That's what believing in Jesus means. Not intellectual assent alone, but intellectual belief, what we're doing with our life, and how we're motivated by our passion. That's what Jesus followers do, because that's who we're following. And so I asked you the bicycle question because I came across a video I actually used for a very similar teaching many years ago. And it's about a bicyclist named Donnie McCaskill. <laughs> and he has a little ride that he took and had it filmed. And uh, if you're thinking about picking up a bicycle again, uh, maybe this will inspire you to, uh, to get in the saddle. So let's check it. Next slide, Trudy. Up in the sky, the coolings for me have always been it's a very inaccessible place. There's an incredible knife edge ridge that runs right the way along the top of them. I've always wondered whether it'd be possible for me to ride my mountain bike up there.
Oh my gosh. Anybody else's palms a little bit sweating? Yeah. Love that video. Uh, doesn't it inspire you to want to take your bicycle up to the top of a mountain? Skyline today, anybody? All right, let's do this. Uh, absolutely crazy. Well, you know, Danny McCaskill uh, didn't learn to ride a bike on Tuesday and Friday decided to go do this. It took a long time with lots of training to figure out how to train his balance and his skill, his muscle movement, everything uh, over a long period. Who knows how many 10,000 hour moments he had uh, to get to that skill level, to be that level of professional, to be able to handle that. We're probably not going to get there. So I hate to ruin your dreams, but uh, you're probably not ever going to have to face that ride uh, yourself. But we all are on a ride of some kind. And the question is, is have we given up uh, the ride to a degree? Have we thought that, have we kind of owned that adage too much that it's like riding a bike? You know, once you learn it, you kind of have it forever. But have we forgotten that maybe this thing that we're doing following Jesus actually requires uh, effort <laughs> because it's a relationship? And it's not about a to do thing, like the things I'm gonna cover with you today are not about do this or else but they're reflections of the way of Jesus that lead to life. So John's gospel, that passage said, by believing in the power of his name, they will experience life. And if Jesus came to give life, and his life was a model for that, the question I'm asking is, what is that model exactly? What are the components of that? So that we know how to follow in such a way that the fruit of what we might be doing might be the same as Jesus, which is an abundant life and resurrection at the end. Because I think that's what we're supposed to be after. So the things we're going to go through, and by the way, these for some of you will look very familiar uh, because these are movements within our own church's uh, belief statement. Uh, and the website looks very much like what you're seeing. So if you can't read this at all, good luck. Uh, with that, uh, but you can go to our website later and just look up beliefs on our website, and it's going to look a lot like this, because this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. Why? Is it because God is mad at us, because God wants to judge us on this test? No, it's because Jesus wants us to live, really, really, really live. And so it all starts with a choice, simple choice to follow or not. And for the disciples, those early disciples who were fishermen up in, you know, the northern regions, the countryside of ancient, uh, of ancient Israel, uh, they knew Jesus pretty well by the time Jesus asked them. 
And they kind of had a hunch what he was about. And so when he asked them, they made a conscious decision. Yeah, we're going to choose to follow you. And what I want to say is that all these things, there are five different things we're going to look at briefly. All five of those are choices to do, opportunities, invitations for us to model our lives after Jesus in these particular ways. It all begins with a choice. Are we choosing uh, to fully follow uh, this Jesus? And the first movement that we have on the next slide has to do with stretching. And by this, I mean stretching our understanding. Uh, not yoga, although yoga can definitely stretch us and even our understanding, but I'm really talking about how are, we, how are we learning and continuing to learn in our relationship with God. Um, my doctoral work was done out of the Gospel of John, and so all of this stuff comes out of John's Gospel. And the way John is organized uh, is different than the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel is organized theologically. He wants to make certain points along the way. And he does that. And so we're going to look at those movements. That's, that's why these movements were born. As, as I was studying, I was like, this thing is pretty clear here, how this stuff just shows up uh, in the gospel. And you're also going to see, in many cases, parallel stories. So you have a story that involves a Jewish person, followed pretty closely, pretty soon after, a story of not a Jewish person. So you're seeing Jesus interact with both the people that we would expect him to be a part of and the people that we might not expect Jesus to be interacting with. And the first one on this whole issue of stretching, of learning, comes early in the Gospel of John, the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was sort of like on the Supreme Court, if you will, of ancient Judaism. He was a big deal, very well educated. He came under cover of night to talk to Jesus because he didn't really want to be seen with Jesus. <laughs> he was also a little bit in the dark himself on his understanding. But Jesus was kind of an upstart. He was making waves. He was challenging the teaching of the church, uh, which would have affected Nicodemus. So Nicodemus wants to go give him the sniff test and see what's really going on here, see if, see if he passes muster, see if he knows what he's talking about. And he starts into a conversation. He starts trying to be all nicey-nice and gives him some nice compliments. And Jesus quickly shifts. Jesus knows what this guy's about. He knows what his agenda is. And rather than a theological argument, Jesus gets right to the point of the matter. He says, you know, this is a spiritual relationship. And when you get this thing, when you understand what's happening, it's like you're born again. It's like you're born again. It's like when the Spirit comes and does its thing in your life, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you see the world. You have new eyes to see. And they had some back and forth about what in the heck does born again mean. Nicodemus was going all literal with them, and Jesus just keeps trying to say, no, it's a new way of living. And Jesus says that famous uh, passage, which we get in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And what Jesus is saying here, again, is if you believe, mentally, with your hands and feet, with your passion. That belief is going to elicit the very things of God in your life right now. He's not talking about heaven at all in this passage. He's talking about life right here and now, that the true life, the real abundant life happens now if we choose to follow the way, which is modeled by Jesus and taught by Jesus. Later on, he says, those who have not chosen to believe are condemned already. And he's not talking about some after-you-die condemnation of God. He's saying right now, if you have the opportunity to live more infused with the presence of God in your life and the Spirit of God being led by the Spirit in all forms and fashion, uh, if you choose not to do that, then it's like you're saying no thank you to the things of God, to the person who gives us life and breath, to the one whose origins are love and beauty itself. So that helps us understand the contrast that Jesus is giving us here. This isn't about God judging us. This is about whether we choose to live or not. And this was a major stretching thing for Nicodemus, a way different way of thinking uh, than he had entertained up to that point. We see a similar thing happen uh, in a scene just another chapter down the pike in John's gospel with a, a woman at the well in the enemy territory of Samaria. This Samaritan woman is showing up at noon to get water which immediately tells its own story. Because a woman doesn't show up alone at a well, first of all. She should be surrounded by other women going to draw water. And she's not going to be there in the heat of the day. So that tells us that there's a reason why she's there in the heat of the day. And it's probably because she's not welcome to go with the other women in the early parts of the day when it's cool, when they're all going. She's there alone. 
because she doesn't have a choice. We learn from Jesus' own words in their exchange. Jesus crosses major barriers, starts to blow her mind right off by just starting a conversation with her. Can you get me a cup of water? He wasn't supposed to do that. And back in, that was a major uh, trip over taboo in Jesus' day, and he did it intentionally. Their conversation ensues, and Jesus lets her know that he knows her life. She's had a hard life. She's been through many husbands, probably by death. And now she's with a guy that's not her husband, but it's a guy that's taken her in and given her shelter. She's the talk of the town. Nobody wants to be associated with her because of what's happened. They assume God has condemned her in some way. They don't want her to be with the other women. And the cool of the morning, she's got to go it alone. This woman is in a tough, tough spot. And Jesus, just by his conversation with her, is stretching her thinking. And maybe there's more going on here. She tries to pick a theological debate with them, and he steers it away and says, we're not going to talk about the differences between our theology right now, because here's the thing. The, the true worshipers of God worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. She hears this. She's connecting the intellectual dots that she's welcome, that God is with her, that they're not here to fight, but there's something bigger to go after. She's transformed by this. She is born again in that moment. She runs to her village that does not welcome her. <laughs> she starts talking nonsense about this guy that knew her life and has changed her life. She has so much charisma about her that these villagers who don't really like her up and leave the village to follow her to meet Jesus and to find out who he is, then invite him to stay for a few days. It's crazy what happens. All of this is one major stretching exercise. We have the choice to choose how to stretch. And so I give you options in case you have no idea how you might do that. And the number one option on all these different movements uh, is attend church because we'll stretch you here. We'll get you thinking here. And the beauty of it is, is even if I'm a total dud, which happens regularly in my teaching, the good news is that the Spirit of God is at work here. And so God can even take a dud teaching of mine and might nail you with something, might nudge you with a word or a phrase or a story. God is interested in stretching our perspective and helping us grow in our understanding of God. And church, that's part of what we do, not just on Sunday, but in groups that we want to form uh, in the near future. Podcasts, books, audiobooks, magazines, seminars, conferences, retreat, uh, retreat types of things, and even God talk. You know, one of the cool things that happens in our, uh, the Praxis group that I lead, and I know some of you meet together uh, just in friendly community kinds of things, is when you talk about your faith relationship in some way, you learn from each other and you strengthen and support each other at the same time. These are all stretching types of things, and it's all a choice. My question for you is, how are you willing to stretch yourself? How are you willing to give God a chance to stretch your understanding of who God is? Or are you satisfied with the box you've put God in? Do you realize the box that we put God in will never ever contain God, but will limit God and limit God's exp expression in your life? How are you choosing to stretch? The next sl uh, slide has to do with kneeling. Um, this has to do with serving. So in the next few chapters in John's gospel, he's doing all kinds of things just for other people. Uh, he's healing people of different diseases. He's casting out demons, whatever that might mean. Uh, he's feeding thousands of people, you know, from pack lunches, uh, from a kid's loaves and fishes kind of a thing. All this stuff does two things. One, it verifies that God is on this Jesus. So it's sort of like God's stamp of approval. But then the modeling that we see here is that Jesus is one who knelt in service. That's kind of a no-brainer. Crosswalk is really well known for that. <laughs> in fact, I had a funny experience yesterday. Uh, I had a funeral service. That wasn't the funny experience, but yesterday I had the, the memorial service. So I'll, try, I'll actually talk a little about that in a bit. Uh, and then after that, in the afternoon, I went to this event and there was this organization that received like $3,000 or something um, for their work here in Napa. And what they do is they help uh, immigrants uh, navigate their way through all the paperwork uh, so that they can become legal and get moving forward in their life. Uh, here in the United States. It's a really, really cool thing. And I heard that. I said, hey, I think we've done some things like that with other organizations. And so uh, I approached the, the director right afterwards. I picked up her pamphlet and stuff and said, 
hey, uh, if you ever do like a large scale event, you know, on something like this, um, we'd be happy to help. And she was like, oh, well, who are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm with the church here in town. And so great. And so as I'm getting my business card out and she sees that it's crosswalk, she says, oh, well, actually, you're our very favorite location to do this work that we're already doing at crosswalk. <laughs> Should have called Dar before I talked to her. But anyway, and of course, she knows Dar because Dar, that's what Dar does around here is make all that happen. So anyway, that's a super cool thing that we do corporately just with our brick and mortar to do a really important thing uh, is just a kneeling in service. And so how can you do something of service to other people? That's the question. And the good news is there's lots of stuff to do around here. So if you have nowhere else to do it, uh, you can do it here at Crosswalk because we always have plenty to do. Uh, so just attend church and we'll help you get that done. Uh, but then also there are lots of organizations in town that are doing beautiful, wonderful things to make the world a better place. And so that's an opportunity for you, and I just highly encourage it. In fact, someday I think it would be amazing uh, to get, like, generate a list of all the places that crosswalkers serve uh, throughout a given year and how many hours they do, because I think it would be incredible. So someday we'll get to that, because I just think it would be amazing, because I know that you're all involved in different things. And if you're not, I hope, I hope you'll get involved. One of the things that you could be doing, if you're not already, and my hunch is that you are, uh, because you're cool people, is lifestyle service. And that's just being a servant-minded person wherever you go. And this brings up uh, the memorial service that we had yesterday for Kathy Hutchison. Uh, her life was uh, taken way too early uh, by a long fight with cancer that lasted about 10 years. Uh, she was an amazing uh, person, uh, had a warrior-like fight about her. Uh, but one of the things that came up repeatedly is how gracious she was with others, how inclusive she was with others. And the second to last person that came up to talk was actually uh, a crosswalker. Uh, who managed a bank here in town, a credit union, and got to know Kathy whenever Kathy would come in to do banking. Kathy would enter into the lobby of the bank with just a spirit of love and joy about her, saying hi to whoever, saying hi to her, uh, the manager. And because, just because she was nice and lovely and life-giving, they created a friendship and became friends and we're hoping to travel together and get together and all of these kinds of things just by being a lovely person. Well, you can do that. You can do that with your coworkers. You can do that at the grocery store. You can do that with your actual neighbor, you know, across the street. You can do that with people who you employ. You can do that with people that you're employed by. This is easy ways to serve just by being a lovely person. And that's part of what Jesus was about because that's part of who God is. In the next slide, uh, we've got a little bit more on, uh, on grace. Uh, this is a, a really cool, um, a cool movement that sometimes we miss a larger point with. There are two stories that really indicate what this particular thing is about. Usually when we think about grace, we think about forgiveness of sins, and that is part of it, but it's also about uh, justice. And these two stories talk both about forgiveness of sin and justice all at the same time because they're two sides of the same coin. Oftentimes where there's grace needed, there's justice that needs to be addressed at the same time. The first story that you've heard me teach many times over the years uh, is one where a woman is caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Now it's a setup. Uh, the religious leaders wanted to trap Jesus and so they knew this was going down, and so they barged into the room right at the right moment where it was undeniable what kinds of shenanigans they were up to. Somehow the guy got away. Can you believe it? And, but they were able to retain the woman. And so they drag her in the bedsheet, and while Jesus is teaching in the middle of his sermon, they throw her down before him, big crowd around watching all this. She's nothing more to them than a pawn. And they challenge him with what they think is a chessmate question. Moses tells us to stone such women who are caught in adultery. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows what the corner trick here is. He knows that if he says, well, we should stone her because that's what Moses says, that's what our religion says, then he's going to be in trouble with Rome immediately and his ministry is going to be over. Uh, he knows that Rome's not going to be happy with that because Rome revoked the privilege 
of that type of punishment because the Jewish people were abusing it. We were killing too many people. And Rome says, you're killing too many people. So anyway, they withdrew that privilege. Uh, and so if he would have said stoner, big trouble. If he would have said, no, we can't do that because Rome has said we can't do that, then all the Jewish leaders would say, oh, you're soft on crime, you're soft on believing, you're soft on the word of God, blah, blah, blah. And so we don't need to follow you anymore. Checkmate. So what does Jesus do? This poor woman is just sitting there sobbing in front of, in front of everybody. He just states plainly, you who are sinless among you, cast the first stone. And we normally just read that at face value. And you're like, oh, everybody's got some mistakes in their life. And so what's going to happen? Everybody slowly walks away. But Jesus actually turns the chess mate back around to the accusers because it's the accuser. The one accuser is the one who's supposed to cast the first stone. So he's just like turning it right back around to that person who brought her in the first place and saying, so you think, you think you've got me here. Let's just throw it right back on you because you're the one that has to do this. If you want to go there, go there. And he's putting it on them. It's kind of a game of chicken, uh, which is ugly, but Jesus knew what he was doing. Well, this woman, uh, he scribbles in the sand for a while. I think he's burning off steam because he's so ticked off at what's happening here. And after he's done scribbling, everybody's walked away. And he looks at this poor woman and says, poor woman, has no one condemned you? And she says, no, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I. Your sins are forgiven. This almost kept the story out of the Gospel of John because Jesus gave her forgiveness, communicated her forgiveness before she acknowledged her sin and before she asked for it. Very bold story. Jesus is doing two things here. He's gracing the situation. He's gracing the woman. Uh, he says, you're forgiven. Now go lead a life that's different than this. Go lead a life that's going to give you life, not one that's going to tear you apart. Uh, as if she had choice. She was probably a prostitute. And now he's saying, you don't have to be a prostitute anymore. Let's, let's find a new life direction for you. That's the grace part. But the justice part is always there. And the justice part in this case is holding a mirror to the face of those religious leaders saying, what you are doing is horrific. You're using a woman as a pawn in a game. Have you no heart in the matter? And so he corrects the injustice that has been no doubt played before in that, in that situation. The next one he does is a man that's born blind, a Jewish man that's born blind. And back in the day, they believed that if you're born blind, it means that God has cursed you or condemned you, or maybe your parents. People still struggle with this today. If they have a child that has some struggles of some kind, they wonder, what did we do as the parents uh, to cause this? And it's the wrong question. And so Jesus knows that this is what people are wondering about and asking about. And so uh, Jesus comes alongside this guy who's been blind his whole life and says, would you like to see again? And the blind guy kind of says, well, duh. Yes, of course, I'd like to see again. Long story short, he gets his sight back. Uh, and he hasn't seen Jesus yet because of the way that Jesus chose to do this particular miracle. Gets his sight back and then starts going around and meeting all these people he's known all his life but has never seen them before. He's so excited to see the face of all these people who've helped him and he knows their voice and they're starting to connect the dots. Wait a minute, you're, you're that blind guy. And they can't believe what's happened. This creates all kinds of stir. And it goes all the way up to the Jewish leadership. And they're like, what is going on here? Because God has cursed this guy. This guy's cursed in sin. He's already condemned. How is it possible that this guy can now see, which means that the curse has been lifted. It means that he has been graced and forgiven. And they find out that it's Jesus. The guy actually lets them know in three different movements uh, that it was Jesus. And each time, the guy, the formerly blind guy, is uh, holding the feet to the fire of the Jewish leaders to the point where they kick him out of the Jewish culture, saying, you're on your own. It's like removing Social Security from the guy. So you have grace. And then you have this justice piece where Jesus comes at the tail end of the story, introduces himself I'm the guy that you've never seen, but you know who I am. Come and follow me as an act, a counter to the injustice of the Jewish leaders. Grace is about that. It's not just about communicating forgiveness to the world. It's about looking into the world and seeing where the injustices are and how does the kingdom of God speak into those things. It gets us really uncomfortable really fast. Because our world is very binary right now, at least in America, it's very binary, where it's either this way or that way. But the kingdom of God is bigger than both of those things. 
And sometimes the way of the kingdom of God calls us to speak into situations that are not going to be popular. It's one of the reasons why Jesus got killed. And yet, if we're going to be Jesus followers, we can't ignore this. It's a part of who we are. How we do it, well, that's another question. We can do it in ways of shalom, but we must always be about more shalom with shalom. So when we see issues where people are being treated unfairly, where justice is not being served, part of our Jesus following is just simply shine a light on it and say, we can do better. We're not motivated by an elephant or a donkey. We're motivated by the kingdom of God. We're motivated by the model of Jesus because the way of Jesus leads to life for everybody. Does that make sense? Okay. Can I get an amen on that one? I know you're excited about that one. <laughs> yeah, right. Not very convincing. All right. Well, the next one, next one we get here has to do with uh, how we incarnate. This is not just a Jesus thing. This is an us thing. The Spirit of God is within us. We are incarnate beings. The Spirit of God is already part of us. How can we live this thing out? And the way Jesus did that is that he did not just uh, do his relationships on shallow surface level, cocktail hour level, but he did life deeply. Uh, he's the guy that broke bread with Judas who was about to betray him. He sat at the same table with one that hated him. He also sat at the same table with Peter who would betray him. He also joined at a meal for, in honor of, his, of him and uh, Lazarus, his good friend who he raised from the dead. Uh, a celebration where a woman dumped a ridiculous amount of perfume on Jesus' feet, which I taught about just a few weeks ago. Uh, he was with people in the highest times and the lowest times. That's what it means to incarnate. This has to do with deep community. This is one thing that uh, has been really hard uh, throughout the pandemic for us to do well. And we're hoping to develop this in a much fuller way in the very near future. We need to, we need to know each other. We need to be able to support each other, to grow with each other more fully. And we're kind of out of practice. Uh, that was one of the, just a reminder at this event yesterday is one of the first people who took the mic was like, this is the first event like this. It was outdoors and safe and all that. But she was like, this is the first event like this I've been a part of. And I'm like, well, you obviously don't go to church then, do you? No, I didn't do that. But, <laughs> but it's kind of true. So we need to work on this. How can we, how can we grow deeper in community and friendship and love one another better? So we're going to be developing that in different ways uh, over, the, over the next near future. Uh, so look forward to that. But that's what incarnate means, is to go deep in life with people. And so the questions I have for you, again, attend church. That's a good idea. Attend a group. I do the midweek thing, which is on hold until I get back. Uh, and we're going to be developing teams. It's one of the cool things we intend to do. Uh, over the summer is have some key questions, like I mentioned, uh, so you guys can get to know each other, but then start to wonder what are the dreams of Crosswalk uh, that we can go after together. The final piece here that I want to talk about is connecting. Well, it's almost the final piece. Connecting simply has to do with how do you develop your life with God, your relationship with God? What does it look like? How do you do your prayer life? I mentioned here again, attend church. Think about daily meditation. Think about date nights with God where you carve out a couple hours uh, just for your spiritual life to go take a hike, a saunter through the woods uh, or extended time in meditation. Well, how about taking a retreat? Uh, I have a friend that's coming uh, to speak here at the end of May. He is the imam of the uh, worshiping Muslims here in Napa. And he invited me when I talked with him a few months ago about uh, if he would come and just talk about um, Islam today and what that's like and all that, which he will be doing, uh, he invited me to come attend a service. And so I've been meaning to do that. And so finally, last Friday at 1.30 in the afternoon, I went, uh, it's not a mosque, it's, uh, they call it something different, but I went to where they hold their services uh, off of California Boulevard and did not know that we're at the tail end of Ramadan which is kind of like their Easter. <laughs> and so I go in, I'm expecting like, because he told me, so that's ah, usually like 15, 20 people maybe, uh, you know, who gather for our weekly prayer service. That's kind of what I'm expecting. Uh-uh, it was packed. I mean, this was packed like with 40, 50 men, most of them younger, you know, and they was like in their 30s and 40s, some in their 20s. 
uh, there to pray and have this service together. And it was a new experience for me. I'd never been uh, to uh, um, a service like this before. And the first half hour was a guy giving a talk like I do, and it was a good talk. It was very relevant and uh, had good things to say. If you took out the lingo and replaced Jesus stuff with it, it would sound an awful lot like an evangelical church, actually, uh, in their theology and the way they think about things. And so it was a good talk. I enjoyed the guy. Um, now and then he would quote in Arabic uh, from the Quran. I had no idea what he was talking about, but then he translated it and it was fine. Uh, so anyway, then it, then it came to the part where I knew I was going to be in trouble because that goes into the prayer service where there's a lot of standing and kneeling and bowing and this kind of a thing. <laughs> and I go into this thinking, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm worshiping the God that I know, no matter what we're doing here, what their, whatever their theology is, that's fine. But I know, I know what I'm believing. And so I don't have any real problem going through uh, the ritual uh, with them. But I honestly, since I've never done it, I kind of want to just be a fly on the wall, like in the back of the room and just watch. But they weren't going to let me do that because it was so packed. And so all of a sudden I'm standing up and I'm thinking, okay, there's no room for me. So I just start to back up. And wouldn't you know, the water's parting. These two guys make room for me so I can partake and they don't know me from anybody. So I'm like, oh, great. So I look over at this guy and I say, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And he just kind of laughed. And I said, no, seriously, this is my first time. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> this guy was in his mid thirties maybe. And he was so gracious. He just said, okay, takes too long to explain what all of these things mean. Just follow us. Just do what we do. I'm like, okay, all right. So every time they stood up, I stood up. I didn't know what I was repeating. I didn't repeat anything because I didn't know what I was saying. Uh, but every time they bowed down, I bowed down. They were worshiping in their way. I was saying a little prayer to God. It was all good. I was so grateful for that. And then toward the end, after about 20 minutes of this uh, recitation, uh, then he, he tells me, okay, this is the time where if you've got any of your own prayer stuff, you can just stay here and do it on your own. And, uh, and then, then he did such a sweet thing. He said, um, what brings you here today? Uh, what's your situation? And what he was really asking was, is he was wondering what I could use prayer for. It's where he was headed because uh, he wanted to be helpful. And I thought, man, this guy is helping me along. He's, if I didn't know any different, I would think, okay, well, I don't know what's happening here, but I can follow these people who seem to be connected to this faith that's helping them. And by doing that, uh, maybe I'll get the same level of faith that that person does. And this person was willing to help know what was going on in my life, to potentially pray for me or teach me how to pray. And I thought this guy just modeled <laughs> what it can look like for people of faith to help people who don't know how to do the faith. Does that make sense? Uh, helping other people connect with God. And so I'm wondering here at Crosswalk, I know that we are an extremely casual church, unnervingly casual for people who are used to a much higher church experience. And maybe that's where we need to come alongside and say, you know, just go with the flow, grab a cup of coffee, <laughs> just enjoy the meditation. I hope it works for you in some way. I learned a lot about how we can help each other connect with God just through this Muslim dedicated worshiper uh, last Friday afternoon. It was really cool. All of the stuff that we uh, are about, I didn't quite know how to do this visually, but if I could redo this thing again and knew how to do it, I would make one big circle all around all these things. And I'd color it some other shade of green, and I'd call that background green resurrection, because everything that Jesus came to do was about renewing and renewal and restoring and resurrection, bringing life to where there were dead things, bringing life back to where things are dying, all about hope, all about life, uh, because that's the end goal of all this, not just for our own lives, but for what, what we can do in the world. That's what happens when the kingdom of God comes in the world. We make the world a better place uh, because the kingdom of God is always wanting to do that. My questions for you uh, coming up on the next couple of slides. Oh yeah, the cumulative result is re-resurrected. And the next one kind of shows you the whole thing. So we choose to stretch and kneel and grace and incarnate and connect with the hope that we resurrect. That's what we're all about. That's what is on our website. This is why it's our belief statement. That's what we practice. Not only is this something we do individually, but this is something we try to design toward in the whole church. So when I'm thinking about how to lead as the, as the leader of the church, as one of the leaders of the church anyway, I'm wondering, how do we know if we're even getting this done? How, how are we helping people stretch? How are we helping you kneel and grace and incarnate and connect? Because when we do that, renewal happens. It's a fruit. It's not something we go after to do. It just happens when we do it. This is a way of life thing. It is a rhythm. 
And so I have a series of questions just to throw at you in the next slide, potentially. What can you begin today to stay in rhythm with God? And what do you want to integrate in the next week, month, and year? You're not going to, you know, you're not going to become that champion bicycle rider, you know, overnight. But, you know, I had a beautiful conversation with a new member of the church uh, just last week uh, who was wanting to just make sure that, you know, there weren't any <laughs> fine print like she had to sign over a mortgage or her house or anything like this if she was going to join. In a nutshell, you know, she said, what I, you know, I just really want to get to a place in my walk with God where I'm just really walking in it, you know, where I'm just so, I'm just totally full of the Spirit of God and being used by God as much as possible. I'm like, yes, she used different language, but that's basically what she was getting at. And yes, that's exactly what we want for everybody. And so I'm asking the question all the time, how can we do that? And I'm asking you, what can you integrate over time? Because you're not going to just get there. This is a relationship that requires maturing. It requires attention. We know this in significant other relationships, that if you don't spend time with your significant other, uh, quality time especially, that relationship's going to fade. If you don't sow into your relationship with your own children, that relationship will fade everywhere across the board. We know this is true. It's also true in our relationship with God. How do we connect with God? How do we be more like Jesus? Well, it takes time and discipline and practice over time, and then we start to see it. I also ask the question, what obstacles do you anticipate getting in your way, and how can you imagine managing those obstacles? For myself, it's always about time. It's always about letting other things creep in and not carving out and saying, this is when I'm going to do this. And that's true for any relationship in my life. Every relationship in my life can be crowded out by other things if I, if I choose it. And so you have the choice as well. My hope is that something here today has uh, helped you as we think about what it means to be Easter people, resurrection-focused people, uh, because that is what we're called to do and to be. So let's pray together. I'll lead you in a very brief meditation, and then we'll end with the Lord's Prayer. So God, help us in this moment to just sit with all that we've seen, all that we've heard. And I'm wondering, God, what, what you might be nudging us toward today. And my hunch is that it may be very different for different folks. How are you nudging us to choose? What about stretching, God? What do you want us to consider? And kneeling in service, gracing other people, which also includes standing up for justice for being fully present as people of God in an incarnate kind of way in community or in fostering our connection with you. What are you calling us to today specifically? So just sit still. Can you identify one or two things that comes up? God, you never let us go. You never stop loving us. When we fail to make these choices that lead to life, you don't condemn us. <laughs> the pain and suffering comes naturally as we wander away from you. But you so long to welcome us home. You're so supportive of us getting back on the trail of life. You're always there. And we trust it. So as we come back to you, perhaps in new ways and different ways, you, you don't, you're not interested in guilt or shame. You're just glad to get us back on the journey to help us live. So may we experience the invitations that may have come at us today from that kind of space. You long for us to live. And you've shown us a way. So help us on the way. And the prayer that Jesus taught us is all about remembering what the way looks like. And so we choose to pray it now as a, as a way of life, not just a, a prayer to recite. So hear our prayer and hear our heart, Lord, with the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You survived. Congratulations. Thank you for being here today. Hope it was worthwhile. Good to you. And I, I would like to invite Matt Riel and all of the board members to come forward, please. Oh, wow. Cool. This is deja vu, Matt. <laughs> About a year ago, this kind of thing happened. <laughs> Matt will be one of our teachers in July. You've heard him before. He did a great job. So looking forward to him again. Sure. On the membership slide, there were two more people that were not on the slide. So Norman Preggy and oh. Sue Burrow, who is on um, Zoom with us today. So she's like, oh, hey, Sue. I thought I was a member. Yes, you are, so, Sue. Yes, you are, Sue. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I was asked by the Board of Stewards to come and pray over Pete as he gets ready to take his sabbatical. I want to congratulate you as a, as a Board of Stewards and Pete on getting to this place. Most churches never do. Um, it is an amazing gift. I think it, from the reading I've seen, the material presented, it, it was done incredibly well. So congratulations. And congratulations to you as a, as a crosswalk, as a congregation that's come together and said, we affirm this. We're ready for this. We believe in this and that's an amazing gift and so I just really hope that everyone feels empowered by this and with a sense that you know what there's so much growth that can happen in these next three months this isn't crosswalk sabbatical this is Pete's sabbatical the opportunity to grow and to integrate and to connect at a new and deep level is available as you watch and wait and work together it is just a powerful powerful time I invite you not to miss it but I want to turn to Pete, and I want to offer prayer for Pete. If you feel comfortable standing, if you feel comfortable raising your hand, whatever you feel comfortable doing to join in this prayer, I invite you to do that in this moment so that you would feel that you're not only listening, but physically a part of it. So thank you. And again, if you feel comfortable raising hand forward or however you feel comfortable joining in this time of prayer, I invite you to do that. Lord God, I thank you for my friend. Pete and Pastor Pete, uh, the pastor who has been serving this congregation so faithfully for 20 years, for more than 20 years. Father, we pray that in this time that you would give the congregation a renewal of, you, of strength, that your Holy Spirit would lift it up, that it might soar, so that they might experience new ways of growth and, and, and affirmation and connection and fellowship uh, in, this in this time. And we pray for Pete that just um, like carrying a backpack on a long, long hike, he might feel the relief of setting it down for a little while. And he might find the renewal and the strength and the joy that's there. Lord God, I know Pete, I know he will be seeking after you and after your things because that's how you've made him. And I pray that in, in an organic healing um, connecting way, you would lead him into all truth that you want him to be a part of. And Father, I pray that he might hear your voice saying, good, well done, good and faithful servant, as you allow him to take this little break. Lord God, we pray for Crosswalk that this would be a day that we would be able to look back with and say this was a moment, another moment in the long string of moments as we become the church you've called us to be. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus the Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank Pete. you, my friend. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Give us a few minutes. We'll okay. have lunch out and please stay and join us for lunch. And we do have gluten-free pizza also for those who need gluten-free. All right. Thank you all. That was lovely.